Hello everybody, Andrew Gomison here with the Speaking for Him podcast. Very grateful that you are taking the opportunity to listen to this episode. Last week I told you that I was looking forward to returning to the Potter's House High School on Wednesday, December 9th, um, but then the governor came out early this week and said that the uh, pause, as she calls it, is continuing for a little while longer which puts my projected return to work at January 4th um, after Christmas break. So I would just covet your prayers as I navigate this uh, long layoff and continued layoff from the Potter's House, um, not just from a financial standpoint, which is actually uh, pretty stable at this point, but also from an emotional standpoint because I am greatly missing um, my school kids, and my co-workers at this time. If you were listening last week, you know that I dealt with the first five of my top ten Christmas movies of all time, numbers ten through six. And today we will be highlighting numbers five through one. So I'm excited to have you along for the journey, and we will have a couple honorable mention uh, movies, as well as some other selections from another friend of mine of movies that they like. So we're going to get into that. But before we do, I want to talk about some stories that are front and center for us in what is going on. All right, well, the first story that I want to highlight is a lawsuit that came out of Dallas, Texas this week from the Attorney General of Texas, uh, and he uh, filed suit against four uh, states that have been seen to have voting irregularities, those being Wisconsin, Michigan, Pennsylvania, and Georgia. And to me, the most intriguing part about this story is that uh, as of this recording, there are now 18 states, uh, which include... Missouri, Alabama, Arkansas, Florida, Indiana, Kansas, Louisiana, Mississippi, Montana, Nebraska, North Dakota, Oklahoma, South Carolina, South Dakota, Tennessee, Utah, West Virginia, and then finally Arizona, who have filed amicus briefs supporting this lawsuit. So I feel like um, it gives this legs and... I know that there is a raging debate over whether there are actual irregularities at stake, but I think that the fact that so many states are on board gives this some credence. And I know in Michigan, we had one county where there was a glitch in the voting machines that um, flipped 3,000 votes from Biden to Trump. And then after that happened, our... Uh, Secretary of State said there are no additional voting irregularities in Michigan, but I feel like it was kind of passed over and not really looked at uh, in a very serious manner. And so I hope that um, this uh, lawsuit causes those uh, situations to be looked at. I think that it's pretty significant from my personal perspective to see uh, Donald Trump do so well uh, among minorities and and turn some minorities and percentages in a way that few, if any, Republicans have done in the past. And to have 
one of the highest vote counts of any Republican for the office of president and still um, come away with the defeat. The second story that I have to share with you today comes out of Northridge, Illinois, and this is a story about uh, a mall Santa. And a lot of times there are some heartwarming stories about mall Santas who go the extra mile for our young children, but this is not one of those. This is a story about a four-year-old boy uh, who was captured on video crying um, at this Illinois mall because when he was asked what he wanted for Christmas, he said, I would like a Nerf gun. And Santa said to him, I cannot give you that. Your dad can get you a Nerf gun, but I cannot give you that. Um, and he suggested alternatives. And the four-year-old boy started crying and was just devastated by the message that this Santa delivered to him. Now, I just want to say a couple things here. Uh, first of all, um, being uh, growing up in a Christian home, I obviously learned from an early age that Santa is not what Christmas is about. And I realized that uh, he's just a fictional construct, but I do think he is fun and uh, we've actually enjoyed as a family uh, considering him as a fun construct growing up. I don't think there was ever a time when I thought that Santa was real, but I always enjoyed him as part of the holiday. So that's the first thing. I kind of alluded to that last week. But the second thing that I would say is that when you are hired as a mall Santa, you are not yourself. So this man might have thought he was doing a good thing, by posturing on his political belief, but that is not what he was hired to do as a mall Santa. Now, it turns out that this story has a happy ending because the mall Santa resigned and they sent another Santa over to his house to give him a Nerf gun to restore his confidence in Santa. And again, uh, apart from the fact of Santa being real or imaginary. I think that if a kid is coming to see Santa, uh, it's good to encourage them and to give them the, some of the magic of the season and putting your, your political views on display on, on Santa's, in Santa's workshop. That's not the right place to do that. And so I, I hope that a lesson has been learned and I'm grateful to see that this mall responded in the proper way. I think sometimes we can um, become insensitive to the things that our um, constituents and our customers and the people around us need. So I'm grateful that this mall did what they did to bring peace out of a, a chaotic and unfortunate situation. And I, I just wanted to take an opportunity here too to th- to talk a little bit about context because I think that is one thing as we are engaging in these culture wars, context is something that is missing. I was listening uh, earlier this week to Carrie Underwood's uh, new Christmas album and I have to say for the most part, I, I appreciate it and I recommend it. But there was one part that distressed me, and that was the issue of um, her changing the verse uh, in All Holy Night where it says that um, change shall he break for the slave is our brother. And uh, she didn't want to say that line about the slave being our brother 
uh, because in the name of political correctness. But I think that context matters here because what she, I don't think, realized when she was re-recording this is that the whole tenor of the verse and the tenor of the song is that slavery is a bad thing and that we were slaves to sin and that God came to not only bring us out of our sin and bring us out of slavery from sin, but also to break down all the class systems that we have in society and say that we are all one, that through Jesus Christ's sacrifice, through his coming to earth to be sacrificed for us, he was making the slave our brother because we were equal. Today we will be uh, dealing with the top five Christmas movies of all time on my list, and so I'm excited about that. But before we get to that, I want to share with you our quote of the day. And that quote comes from the film It's a Wonderful Life. The quote goes as follows, No man is a failure who has friends. And this is a quote by Clarence Oddbody, which he wrote in the book uh, Tom Sawyer, um, which he gave to George as a gift at the end of their journey together. And I have often reverted back to that quote and thought about it in the context of my own life. When I'm struggling, I realize what a rich man I am when I think about the friends that I have. Um, there's a scene in that movie where, uh, at the end, where George has been given all this money from his friends to pay the debt that he owes and to get the books right at the savings and loan. And his brother Harry comes in and toasts him and says, to my big brother George, the richest man in town. Now, when I initially... Uh, was hearing that as a kid, I would often think, well, that's because of all the cash that is around him. That's because of all the money that people gave him, that he's the richest man in town. But it took until I was a little bit older before I began to realize that it was referring to the friendships that he had. The first um, film I want to talk about is Miracle on 34th Street. I understand the post office receives thousands of these letters every year. I have further exhibits, Your Honor, but I hesitate to produce them. Oh, I'm sure we'll be very happy to see them. Yes, uh, yes, yes. Uh, produce them, Mr. Gailey. Uh, put them here on my desk. But, Your Honor, Put I... them here on the desk. Put them... Yes, Your Honor. One of these letters is addressed to Santa Claus. The post office has delivered them. 
Therefore, the post office department, a branch of the federal government, recognizes this man, Chris Kringle, to be the one and only Santa Claus. Uh, since the United States government declares this man to be Santa Claus, this court will not dispute it. Case dismissed. And that is a clip from Miracle on 34th Street, the 1947 film starring Edmund Gwen as Chris Kringle and... It also starred John Payne and Maureen O'Hara in the lead roles, along with Natalie Wood, um, who was the child in the movie, Susan Walker. So I really enjoy this film, and in my research for this show, I came to find out that there has actually been four remakes, so a total of five films, uh, about Miracle on 34th Street, the first one being the 47 original, which I am highlighting today, and then they remade it in 55, 59, 73, and 2004. Uh, but as with so many other things, nothing beats the original. And I think one of the reasons that I like this film so much is because it deals with um, turning from a cynic to a believer and turning from someone who is cold to someone that lets people in to their lives. At the beginning of the movie, you find out that Susan is not allowed to read fantasy books. She doesn't even really play with the kids that are in her apartment building because her mom wants her to be practical and realistic about everything. And through the course of the film, Chris Kringle and Fred Gailey um, help the mother and daughter see that they should believe in other things and that they should not always uh, rely on a pragmatic common sense. And I think there's application of that for us as believers because um, the Bible says that faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. And I know that the analogy go, only goes so far because God is infinitely more important and more real than is Santa Claus. But I think that the overarching, uh, I think, lesson of the film, even more so than proving that Chris Kringle was Santa Claus, is the transformation of two of the characters, Susan and her mother Doris, from from cold, pragmatic all about common sense people to people that were warm and caring and were, were willing to uh, dig deep and, and not always take things at, at face value and enjoy, um, as Chris Kringle points out, enjoying imagination is an important part of being a kid. So I really enjoyed this film and I hope that you enjoyed that clip from the movie and I know that you can watch that movie on Disney+. Plus. So I would encourage you to check out Miracle on 34th Street, 1947, original version. All right, well, the next one on my list, number four, is 
A Charlie Brown Christmas. Isn't there anyone who knows what Christmas is all about? It's Charlie Brown and the Peanuts Gang preparing to spend another joyous holiday together. Only this year, Charlie Brown is getting a little fed up with what seems to be the new Christmas spirit. Find the true meaning of Christmas when money, money, money. Dear Santa Claus, just send money. We all know that Christmas is a big commercial racket. It's run by a big Eastern syndicate, you know. Good grief. So Charlie Brown attempts to restore the true spirit of Christmas by buying a neglected little Christmas tree. But as is often the case with Charlie Brown... Oh, everything I touch gets ruined. It appears that this Christmas may be a sad one. That is, of course, until the rest of the gang shows good old Charlie Brown that they haven't really lost the Christmas spirit at all. A Charlie Brown Christmas. That's what Christmas is all about, Charlie Brown. All right, and there you have A Charlie Brown Christmas. Now, an interesting thing about this film is it's the first Peanuts special. There were many that followed it. It debuted in 1965, so we're talking about 55 years ago this year. And it's really interesting the, when you read about the history of it. In A Charlie Brown Christmas, Linus reads or recites the true story of Christmas from the book of Luke. And I shared that on a previous podcast way back uh, toward the beginning of the show. And I had a lot of fun sharing that. But it's interesting to note that there were people that were involved in the project that were trying to convince Charles Schultz not to include that in the special. And he said, if you don't include it, I don't want you to produce it. He basically said, I want the true meaning of Christmas in the special or don't do it at all. And so I was really gratified to, to hear that. And for the last 55 years, it's been on TV every Christmas. Now this year, there was an announcement early on before Thanksgiving that they would no longer air the Charlie Brown Christmas on TV after 55 years. And a lot of people were shocked by that. Um, there was a great outcry and perhaps that is partially why PBS struck a deal with Apple TV who holds the rights to the films at this point to air, to air it on their network. Now it's not as widely watched as um, the major networks where it used to reside. And I'm not sure when it's on PBS, you'd have to check your local listings but it's also available on Apple TV, and it's very possible that you also have it on your DVD collection. So anyway, this is a really important one for me. I always enjoyed watching the Peanuts. I got a kick out of the fact that um, their parents, you could never hear a word they said. And I think from what I understand that they the parents' voices were legitimately horns like musical instruments and I don't know why they chose to do that method of having parental interaction on the show but the focus was definitely on the kids who were the peanuts so I suppose that is part and parcel of the reason for that so 
that is number four, A Charlie Brown Christmas. Number three is A Christmas Carol from 1951, starring Alistair Sim. Tiny Tim is played by Glyn Dearman. Michael Horton gives a spirited portrayal of Jacob Marley, the ghost who changes Scrooge from sinner to saint. Co-starring with Alistair Sim in delightful character roles are Jack Warner and Kathleen Harrison. Don't be violent, Mr. Scrooge, so you force me to scream for the beagle. The beagle, madam. <laughs> a thief for the beagle. And this is a really interesting selection for me uh, because if you know anything about my family, you know that my father is a huge Christmas Carol fan to the point where he has like 30 to 40 different uh, versions of a Christmas Carol in his collection. And so we easily could have done a top 10 Christmas Carols of all time on this podcast. But I wanted to select one for this list because I almost feel like they deserve their own separate category um, and that it's not really fair to compare them to all the other Christmas movies out there. But this one from Alistair Sim is by far my favorite. Uh, Alistair, I think, brings just the perfect personality to the part of Scrooge. Um, I like it because uh, there are certain Scrooges that are... Um, almost too angry and you know n- not enough indifference i really like the way that um alistair sim is more indifferent than angry because that's basically the story of scrooge we we tend to think of him as an angry curmudgeon and there definitely is some of that in the story but the reality is the biggest thing is that he's just closed himself off from society as as things one by one have conspired to make him sad and bitter he's just allowed them to accumulate to the point where he doesn't care about those people around him and so the whole point of the story is for him to find redemption and to realize that the people in his life do matter and that they are important and so i think alistair sim does that and brings a sensibility to the role that very few 
other people, if any, uh, bring to the role. And I and I will say a few words here um, on my father's behalf too, because my dad always points out that um, it has a lot of content that isn't necessarily in the book. But I think that uh, Charles Dickens kept his story simple. And one of the things I like about this edition of the movie is that even the stuff that is extracurricular, so to speak, even the stuff that isn't in the book, is a feasible explanation for the backstory that gets left out. It fits within the Dickens narrative, even if it is not fully the Dickens narrative, and so I really do appreciate it. While we're coming up to our top two um, movies of all time, I hope you've enjoyed this list through um, last week and then here again this week, and that you will share it with your family and friends and let them know that they can enjoy it. I just want to say a couple things. First of all, my friend Lorna Torres sent me her list of favorite Christmas movies, and so I'm going to share a couple of those, a few of those with you here now. One of them is um, The Christmas Without a Santa Claus. That is a Rankin-Bass um uh, stop motion animation special, um, very much in the vein of uh, Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer. And then she also shared that she likes The Christmas Shoes. Now, The Christmas Shoes is an interesting movie because it is actually based upon a novel which was written by Donna Van Leer, which is actually based in part on a short story which appeared in the very first um, Chicken Soup for the Soul book. Now, I don't know how many Chicken Soup for the Soul books there are. There's probably hundreds of them. But in the very first one, just simply called Chicken Soup for the Soul, there was a story called The Christmas Shoes. And it became a movie and a hit song and a novel all those things. And the movie is very emotional, very fun to watch. So I'd encourage you to check out the Christmas shoes. Um, and she also mentioned the Muppet Christmas Carol, which I will say is one of my favorites. I, I think it's top three, despite it being Muppets. It's very well done. Uh, it sticks to the, to the story and it doesn't, Get, there is some Muppet zaniness, but it doesn't get too zany. It's very uh, realistic to the story. And Michael Caine's portrayal is very real. Uh, despite the fact that he's acting opposite Muppets, you really believe that he is um, Ebenezer Scrooge. And more importantly, you believe his redemption at the end. All right, well, now I get the opportunity to share with you my number two movie, and that is White Christmas. Things go so right Noticing the days hurry and by When you're in love, my, my, how they fly Lord, help 
mister who comes between me and my sister. And Lord help the sister who comes between me and my man. The two greatest figures in show business, Bing and Danny, as two ex-GIs who formed a perfect partnership. Rosemary and Vera Ellen as the sisters who have them in a spin. With Dean Jagger as the unemployed general they take under their wing. Apparently, there's still quite a bit about show business I don't understand. Oh, it'll come to you, sir. Just takes time. Well, you wouldn't be any good as generals. You weren't any good as private. A wonderful story that will warm your hearts, just as the breathtaking scope of a new screen wonder will widen your eyes. White Christmas in Vista Vision. And you'll fall asleep, counting your White Christmas is a movie that I'm not sure how I came to start watching it every Christmas. I think my sisters might have been watching it one day a few Christmases ago, and I sat down to watch it, and I was blown away by how much I enjoyed the film. Um, it's a comedy, it's a musical, and I just really in, enjoy it to the point where I really hope that Master Arts is able to put it on stage if we ever get back to normal theatrically um, because the musical would be so fun. Again, I think it speaks to kind of the hope of the season. Um, the four leads, the, the two sisters and the, the two men in the film, go to Vermont because the sisters have a gig to sing at an inn and the the gentlemen, when they get to the inn, they find out that their old general is running it, that he's depressed um, because he's no longer in military life. And so they decide to do a grand show um, with their um, with their entourage of entertainers. And also they decide to get his his unit together his military, his former military unit, so they can all honor their friend, the general. And I just really appreciate the heart and sentimentality of it. I watch it every Christmas, and it is available on Netflix. Um, so I'm excited to watch it again this year. And so that is my number two pick. I, if, if we could suspend belief enough, I would love to be um, one of the gentlemen leads in the show um, because I particularly like the song Count Your Blessings Instead of Sheep. You know, that was one of those songs that I listened to on a Christmas record that we had from Reader's Digest for a lot of years before I understood 
where it was from, and it was from that musical White Christmas. Um, and then, of course, White Christmas was in there as the featured title song, and um, it was actually debuted um, about 10 years earlier in the movie Holiday Inn. But I've always liked the song... If you're worried and you can't sleep, just count your blessings instead of sheep, and you'll fall asleep counting your blessings. So anyway, that is my number two choice for my favorite Christmas movies of all time. So before we move on to the number one selection, I have a couple of honorable mentions to share with you. And the first honorable mention is The Little Drummer Boy, which is also a Rankin-Bass production. And why this exceptional greeting today, my son? Oh, no reason. Happy birthday, Aaron. Oh, father, mother, did you bring me something? I don't suppose... This would interest you, young man? A drum! My very own drum! Oh, Father! Try it out, Aaron! And perhaps because it was a gift of love, the drum had an almost magical quality. And the animals, when they heard it, began to dance to its sound. Aaron's happiness was to end all too soon. For one night, bandits of the desert attacked. What's going on out there? Father! You must run, my son. Escape! But run! They burned the farm and took the sheep, and Aaron's happy life had changed forever. And so Aaron roamed the land, a lonely orphan. His only friends, three of the farm animals who had escaped. He vowed to hate all humans for what they had done to his family. And he kept that vow. This honorable mention comes from my friend Naomi Van Harn, uh, which if you've been listening to uh, the podcast for a long time, then you probably recognize that name. Uh, Naomi has been an invaluable part of the Speaking Friend ministry, and one of the things that she did for me uh, several years ago on the podcast was she was brainstorming with me because I was starting to experience podcasting burnout, and that does happen when you're trying to produce a weekly show for for several years, you always want to have fresh content. So I was experiencing one of those burnout times and we were just texting and she said, well, what about a book club? So for two or three years, we read four pre-selected books, one in a different of each of four categories. And we reviewed them together on the show. And that hasn't been able to, um, continue with her current responsibilities as a homeschool mother, but I will always be grateful for her giving me that idea and then participating in that idea so that I could continue 
to bring you high quality podcasts. Um, sometimes it just takes a little bit of inspiration to continue forward, uh, through burnout. And so I was excited when she emailed me this week and shared with me her choice for her favorite Christmas film, which was the little drummer boy. And I have an email here from her where she says, greatly enjoyed your top 10 Christmas movies episode referring to last week. I would have to say that my favorite is the little drummer boy. Greer Grayson, her voice as narrator is perfect. It's soft and yet strong. I always get teary eyed when the Vienna boys choir sings at the end. I too have nothing to bring to the King of Kings. And yet he still came and died for my sins. Thanks again for another great episode, Naomi. And that is truly what Christmas is all about. The cradle leads to the cross, ladies and gentlemen. And so it's pretty awesome to think that, uh, that a little, uh, Rankin Bass Christmas special can bring to focus someone like the little drummer boy who, although he is a fictitious character, brings to mind to us the fact that all we have to give Jesus is ourselves. There's nothing that we can do to ultimately repay him for what he has done for us, but to accept his grace and to live in its reality. So thank you for sharing that, Naomi. And my next honorable mention is the aforementioned Holiday Inn. Now, this is the one movie on this list that I haven't seen, um, but I, I would like to see it. Um, what I read about it is this, that a lot of people wonder if White Christmas is a sequel to Holiday Inn. It is not. It is a second movie about an inn, and it is a second movie featuring the song White Christmas, which premiered in Holiday Inn. Another thing I read about it was that Fred Astaire and Bing Crosby starred in Holiday Inn. And Fred Astaire was set to star in White Christmas, but then backed out, um, leaving an opening for Danny Kaye, who starred in White Christmas opposite Bing. Never has there been such a show as this. From Easter to Christmas, from the 4th of July to Thanksgiving, there's a song for every holiday and a holiday for every song. I'm dreaming of a Christmas. You'll be the grandest lady in the Easter parade. USA is united thanks to one who Nancy Hank, Abraham. 
It's not my watch you're holding, it's my heart. Many thanks to my friend Amy Horneck for the suggestion of Holiday Inn as an honorable mention. Well, the time has come for my number one movie of all time. And we hearken back to our quote of the day, which was from our number one selection, It's a Wonderful Life. such a full measure of the joy of living, the drama of living, and above all, the glorious romance that makes this such a wonderful life. Don't you ever get tired of just reading about things? Yeah. Hey, what are you doing tonight? I don't want to get married to anybody, you understand? I want to do what I want to do. And, and you... So there's a couple reasons why this film means so much to me. Number one is just the message of the film uh, is to realize how important your life is. I think most of us have had times in our life where we feel insignificant and we wonder if we are really making a difference or if it really matters that we are around. And I know I have had those Personally, and so the It's a Wonderful Life always serves as a poignant reminder of how valuable each individual life is. And I often go back to that quote, which was the quote of the day, uh, where Clarence Oddbody says, No man is a failure who has friends. And I've seen so many times in my life where my friends have stepped up and loved me well, especially in this really weird year, really unprecedented year of 2020. 
And then secondarily, another reason why It's a Wonderful Life is is so important to me is that twice, in 2005 and in 2013, I had the privilege of performing It's a Wonderful Life for Master Arts Theater. And in particular, the 2005 show really sticks out. Uh, It's probably in my top three of all the shows that I've been involved with at Master Arts. Um, And because... Our cast was really close-knit. We had uh, two families that each had five people uh, acting in in the uh, play. One was the Van Lobick family and one was the Gommerson family, so we had a lot of fun with that. I think that was the theme of one of the articles about the show in the newspaper, and we actually reprised it in 2006, and we made a joke that that we beat them because my sister-in-law... Uh, Sarah, who was in the show, uh, changed her name in the intervening year when she married my brother and was once again in the show um, for, you know, for, for Team Gamison, so to speak. So that was exciting. Another thing that was exciting is the other friends um, that I made throughout the production, one of which is Jay Harnish, who is my webmaster and who uh, connected me to sermon.net where I upload my audio and really that was the one of the early springboards for the podcast because once I had a place to upload audio I wanted to make sure that I had consistent audio to upload and that was one of the reasons why this podcast was born and if you go to my website speakingforhim.com you can see Jay's handiwork and I'm super excited um, to tell you about that because He donates his time and resources on that aspect of my ministry, and I couldn't be more grateful. Uh, Another person that I'm extremely grateful for from It's a Wonderful Life is Amy Hildor. Uh, By the way, Jay played young George Bailey, and Amy Hildor played young Mary Bailey. And uh, Amy has become a really close friend, along with her husband Chris and her children Noah and Elliot, And I consider her the older sister um, that I never had. But all that to say, I've just been very grateful for the friends that have been afforded me uh, through Master Arts Theater and more particularly through It's a Wonderful Life. And a final thing on that note is I remember when we were doing that first run in November and December of 2005, we would often... um, I'll be lining up outside the auditorium for the curtain call before the final scene. And that final scene when um, George greets all his friends and reads the the telegram from Sam Wainwright and um, realizes that Clarence got his wings because he helped George. All those things come to a climax um, it's just really emotional. And there were many times when um, we were wiping tears away from our eyes before we went out for curtain call because it was that emotional. And I also remember that we would often get testimonials from people in the audience saying that the show met them where they needed it to meet them on that given night. So even something that isn't expressly Christian, um, but is a story of hope I think can be beneficial and can help people see the truth 
um, that they matter. And hopefully that leads to discussions of why they matter. And it's because they were made in the image of God and because Jesus died for them. Um, so I hope that you've enjoyed this top 10 list of my favorite Christmas specials of all time. I hope that you will share this with your family and friends. And I wanted to mention to you too, that I will be, um, welcoming the menacing millennials to my podcast. Um, Russ, John and Brent are all very amazing, um, friends of mine. And I've had the privilege of being on their podcast a handful of times through this year. Um, it's been one of the bright spots of 2020 is being able to collaborate with them. And Russ is another one of those friends that came along at a time when I was starting to burn out and needed support in, in this podcasting adventure. So I'm super excited to welcome them to the studio next week to talk about the birth of the menacing millennials and also to talk about some fun Christmas stuff. And so I would continue to ask you to share with me your favorite Christmas movies. If you want to send an email or you want to send a voicemail, either of which I can share on the podcast as I did uh, with Naomi's, I would really appreciate it. And one final thing as I'm ending today, I, I want to ask if you are touched or blessed by this podcast ministry, could you leave me a review on iTunes or Stitcher or wherever you listen to this podcast, which by the way, I'll throw in here real quick that we are on Amazon now, which is exciting always exciting to be available in a new place and hopefully be found. But reviews really help and ratings help people to find the podcast. So if you're blessed, please take a few moments to rate and review the podcast. Also, please make sure that you are giving us any feedback on topics and things that you would like us to discuss in the coming year. With all that being said, I hope that you have a wonderful week and that as always, you keep serving the best of masters. Thank you for listening to today's episode. Your host has been Andrew Gomison, founder of Speaking for Him. For more information on today's show and to leave us comments and voicemails, visit speakingforhim.blogspot.com. You can find Andrew's ministry at speakingforhim.com. That's speaking, the number four, H-I-M. You can also interact with us at facebook.com slash speakingforhim and on Twitter at speakingforhim. And when you look for us on iTunes and Stitcher, let us know what you think of the podcast by leaving a rating and review.